0: Hey, morning everybody. Welcome to Ascent. My name is Jim, if I haven't met you before. uh, We're really glad that you're here. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Um, You know, I got to tell you before before we dive into stuff, I'm I'm feeling a little, I'm going to give you a couple announcements about some things. Before I do that, I got to tell you, I'm feeling a little self-conscious this week. Um, You ever have one of those weeks where so this is what went down. Um, I have a, uh, I'm have married to Karen. I have a 14-year-old named Josh, a 12-year-old named Micah. And uh, this week, Josh, my 14-year-old, is going to high school next year, went away on a Young Life backpacking trip for four or five days. Awesome time. So Micah, my uh, incoming 7th grader, got a real good glimpse of what life is going to be like when Josh leaves someday to go to college. He was at home with mom and dad. And so we had our little week and uh, culminated on uh, Thursday night, night, before Josh got home, we go to dinner and we're sitting out at dinner. And I was having this fascinating conversation with Karen about um, the amount of olive oil that had been on my salad at lunchtime earlier that day. And, and Micah just stops dinner and he goes, I have something to say. What's that? When Josh moves out, I'm moving out too. <laughs> and I was like, what? Dude, I'm like, I, and I got all Like, defensive. Like, my, I just hadn't had a great day. So I'm like, my reaction was like, okay, well, how are you going to pay for that, buddy? You're going to get a job now and start paying rent? And he's, and he's like, you guys are talking about how much olive oil is on your salad. He's like, I have one word for that, Dad. Boring. You know. And then for the rest of the meal, everything we brought up, Micah would just say, boring. Boring. So I'm kind of like a little self-conscious today. Like if I look at you during this talk, I need you to go like this. (laughs) Like do not give me the boring look because I'll just like, oh, 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 caved in, you know. Okay, so that's the week it's been. Um, I I actually do want to make a couple quick announcements to you first about things going on. Last week I told you I'd give you an update on our building project. Uh, Just to catch everybody up to speed, last fall we uh, had a building campaign. We raised some money. This is not our permanent home It's going to be retail space someday. And so uh, we went under contract uh, almost a couple months ago now for a piece of property as part of our double play campaign. 13 acres, you guys. It sits out on 96 and Dillon Road. Pretty incredible thing that we're under contract for. But there's some issues with the property that we're trying to work through. And uh, one of those is that there's an agreement that needs to happen between the adjacent owners and the city of Louisville. And what I want to tell you is that this week um, we had a couple curveballs thrown at us. Uh, we thought we had something going with the city in terms of an agreement or an understanding, and they came back at us this week and said, actually, we want to kind of change that, and we weren't expecting that. Uh, another one of the adjacent owners said, you know what, before we sign that agreement with you, we want to sign another agreement with you that has to do with how we would share costs around infrastructure and that kind of thing, which was something we thought would come after the first one. So I just want to let you know, that's what's going on right now. We were, uh, I was a little bummed this week, to be honest with you, because... Uh, our main contact at the city, this is incredible, had fast-tracked our deal. And so the city council was actually scheduled to vote on our use of that property on September 5th, which any of you know anything about how this stuff works, that is lightning fast. And so I was just like pumped, and now I'm thinking that that is not going to happen in that time frame. So Uh, We'll see. And these, we don't know. We might not be able to cut this deal with one of the adjacent neighbors. We'll see. We're working on that. We have meetings this week. Meet with the city on Tuesday. Hopefully meeting with one of the adjacent owners later this week too. So my optimism index is here now. Last week it was here. I'm just being honest. We're keeping it real in here. My optimism index is here. So I just want to keep you up to date. That's what's going on with the building stuff. We're going to keep giving you guys stuff every week. Okay? Okay. Is that cool? Uh, the other thing I wanted to tell you about is uh, August 20th. Uh, man, you know, it's, in a way there's um, three big Sundays or three big uh, weeks that we have at Ascent around here. Uh, Christmas Eve is always so huge. Uh, Easter is obviously a big Sunday for every church. Those are two big ones. But we really have kind of a third one that's emerged, and that is our fall kickoff On August 20th, that's going to be our fall kickoff. If you've been here before for one of our fall kickoffs, you know we go all out. We have a climbing wall out there. We get, you know, a little shutter bus. We get a little train that rides around the parking lot. We just try to make it like a carnival-like atmosphere. And we actually, you know, we make a philosophy decision. We're going to spend some money that day to make it an amazing experience but it's not a party for us, okay? So here's the key thing. We really, we want every Sunday to be a week where you feel like you can invite people, but we want to make some Sundays that are especially stand out, and that's one of them. So I really hope that you'll start thinking, we got about five weeks, and you're going to hear about this every week. I hope you'll start thinking right now about who might it be that uh, I want to invite on that weekend for our fall kickoff. That is August 20th this year, okay? All right, enough of that. Let's talk. Uh, I want to dive into uh, our series here. And I, uh, I got a little fired up last week and fired up again this week because I think this is huge. We're, we are talking right now about uh, the series title is, These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. Yes, it is a Sound of Music reference. I love the Sound of Music and I am confident in my manhood standing up here telling you that. The Sound of music's Awesome. But what we're doing is we're talking about some of the favorite things that Jesus liked to talk about. So Chris Sturgeon spoke in the first week about how Jesus talked about money a lot. And last week, we turned the table and said, you know what, we're going to talk about one of the things that you don't hear much about. And that is, uh, you know, sometimes when we hear the word gospel... We hear certain language around what does the gospel mean? Gospel is a word that means good news. But what is the gospel? If we took a definition of that from everybody, what would it mean? So give me two minutes. I'm gonna, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to catch you up real quick what we talked about last week. You know, if you think about that word gospel, what do we often hear? Well, sometimes we often hear language like this. We hear uh, these words, Jesus loves me and died for me. Awesome, true, fantastic, love it, yes, and can be a little dangerous. There's a character that shows up twice in that story and can kind of become the center of that story if we're not careful. And I wonder if the gospel's bigger than that. We said last week, sometimes we can define the gospel, this is the gospel, sometimes we can define the gospel by saying, well, Jesus loves me and Jesus died for me, And often what happens is sometimes we end up in the center of the gospel. That we're the main character. The object of the gospel is us. But is that what Jesus really taught? And is there a danger to thinking that that's all it's about? Again, what I put up on the board, true statement is part of the gospel. But last week we talked about how does Jesus Christ define the gospel? We looked at A few passages from the New Testament, especially in Mark 1, Luke chapter 9, Matthew chapter 5. We looked a lot at how does Jesus define the gospel. And he used the language of the gospel is the kingdom of God. Now listen to me. Every week, you know, Bill or I or somebody gets up here and shares stuff. Can I just, a little disclaimer. Um, Don't take what I say. Don't trust me. Guys, always, anywhere, whether your church life keeps you here forever or you go somewhere else, always take whatever who's up front talking, take it through the filter of you reading the scripture for yourselves, praying through this. So I'm giving you a point of view that I think is true based on the reading of the scripture, and many, many people would say the center teaching of Jesus was that the kingdom of God has come. Center of the gospel. I think, according to Jesus, is the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God, real simple idea. Real, uh, kingdom of God is this idea. Whatever God says, goes. Whatever God had planned in the beginning for the just perfect nature of creation that he made is restored again. Because when Jesus came and announced the gospel, he's saying the kingdom of God is now breaking through In me. You're going to see it in my life. You're going to see a vision of the future. The whole universe is bending toward and we will end up one day where it began. The way God intended it to be with perfection. The word shalom. You ever heard that? Shalom is the word that means incredible peace. Perfection God intended. We are returning to shalom. And Jesus' life kicks it off. Saying, guys, good news. The kingdom of God is starting to break through, and you can see it in my life, and now you're going to see it in your life. I'm a subset of the gospel. Yeah, Jesus loved me and died for me, but that's not the center of everything. The center of everything is God, and I'm a part of that. Guys, this is 100 times better, a million times better. This I might yawn to death if this is the end, if it's about me. But This means that our lives are a chance to show the kingdom of God coming forward. It's much bigger than just ourselves. Okay, so that's, that's what we talked about last week. How, then, do we live as citizens in a kingdom of God when we live somewhere else in a different time? Let me, I want to pray for us. because I, I, My hope today is you walk out of this room seeing yourself a little different when you came in. So God... It's Just any time we get a chance to come together like this, these are holy moments. And I pray, God, that uh, no matter what's happened today or this week, that uh, maybe for these next few moments, uh, we pray that your spirit would grab a hold of our hearts and my heart and dial in on what it is that you want to show us. So we trust you and we love you and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Kingdom of God. Here we are. What does it look like to be a citizen there? Uh, I, I'll, I'll start with a story. I, th- I think it's uh, actually challenging for us as Americans especially to understand this concept. We, we haven't really grown up in a kingdom mentality. We don't live in a monarchy. We live in a democracy. And so what, is, what does it look like to think of ourselves as part of something that we maybe inherently don't quite get? Uh, this summer... We had a chance, our family had a chance to go on a really cool trip. And I'm going to caveat this in a second. But we actually got on a plane and we flew and we went to Europe for about 10 days. It was so cool. We went to, we started in London. Now, here's the deal. I cannot have you thinking, man, we pay that guy way too much if he's taking his family of four off to Europe. So let me tell you how this happened. We saved our credit card points for nine years to do this. We Airbnb'd our house out to dudes I've never heard of before who came and lived in our house. And so we help pay for this. I can't have you thinking that I'm siphoning off building funds and heading off to Europe. I would not do that. Okay. Bill's been gone for a little while. So I you know, I'm not going to speak for Bill. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, I would never do that. Okay. So we, we, we go to Europe, and we first thing we do is we go to London, and we show up, and the first day, we, we get on the little double-decker bus. Anybody done the little double, double-decker bus tour? Okay, it's like the Harry Potter thing. So we're going through the town, and we, the first stop is the Tower of London. You guys, the Tower of London. This is so cool. This is the fortress, the little castle right on the river there where all the stories that you've heard of happened. You know, this is Richard III and William the Conqueror, and uh, this is Henry VIII, and you know, poor Anne Boleyn, and uh, this is William Wallace, and uh, all the guy. you know, these are all happening right here in the Tower of London, and so you show up, and you can get a free tour, so if you do this, don't just walk around there. You've got to get a free tour from these little guys that stand out there, and they lead these big groups through the tour, and they tell you all the stories, and so, um, but they have a special name. Anybody know the name of these guys? beef eaters okay so hold on for that but here's a picture of these guys this is what they look like they they will take you on a tour through the tower of london it's super cool now their nickname is beef eaters their real name is this check this out this is so cool they're the yeoman warders of her majesty's royal palace and fortress the tower of london and members of the sovereign's bodyguard of the yeoman guard extraordinary (laughs) cool is that Uh, Next time you tell somebody, yeah, I'm an engineer. Like, you know, like, come on, like, that's a title, right? Like, I'm just thinking, man, I tell somebody I'm a pastor sounds so boring compared to that. The yeoman warder, oh man. So this is what these guys do, though. They're 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 charged with protecting the tower. So this guy's leading us through, and he's telling us all the stories, and you know, we're loving it, and he's telling us all the beheadings, the little princes in the tower, and all this stuff. And at the end of the tour. Uh, He takes us into this little chapel, and he sits down. And this is where all, like, some of the queens are buried. This is so cool. And so he's talking about that. And then he ends his talk with something that struck me more than anything he said. He ends his talk by going, all right, I want you to see my uniform, right? Look at this. He goes, you see this? E, R. He's very dramatic. E, R, 2, Elizabeth, Regina. Regina apparently means queen and Latin or something. Elizabeth, Regina, Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth II. And then he looks at all of us in this little chapel and he goes, I belong to the queen. And I went, wow. Man, I'll tell you, whether it's Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, go back, Reagan, I don't care. I will never say I belong to the president. <laughs> Regardless of how you feel it, come on. You would never say, I belong to the president. No, you wouldn't say that. Because that's not the culture we grew up in. This guy's like, I belong to the queen. Just got me thinking. As we think about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Here we are. Kingdom of God. Doesn't it start with us reframing our lives and our identity? Man, you're not an engineer, not an accountant, not a mom even. I mean, those are part of who you are. But what if our primary understanding of who we are as human beings is we belong to a kingdom of God that Jesus is putting into existence, and I belong to the king? It's an issue of identity, first and foremost, I want to show you, um, this is not new. It's harder for us to understand because of the culture that we come from. This isn't new thinking. This, is, this comes right out of the pages of the New Testament. There's a guy named Peter. Peter was a follower of Jesus. We think he wrote some of the New Testament. He had a very creative title for a letter he wrote called First Peter. This is just brilliant, you know, creativity. Um, in that letter, he's writing to a culture that is living under something other than the kingdom of God. He's writing to a group of people that are involved in... Anybody remember what civilization was just rocking and rolling back then? This is the Romans. He's writing to a group of people that are part of the kingdom of earth. And he's saying to them, look... I need you to figure out and understand what it means to be part of this. Look at look at some of his language. This is from, uh, and, and just like then, everybody, every human being is every day trying to figure out, how do I get away from this and how do I identify myself here? If you're like me, anyway, this is what we do. People back then are no different. And Peter's writing this letter saying, no, 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 no. Don't identify yourself here. Identify yourself here. Look what he says in... Um, This is 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll start in verse 9. He says, he's talking to the people, he's saying, no, no, but you're not like that. You're not going to be like people who are identifying themselves here. You're not like that. You are a chosen people. Chosen to be part of something different. Do you think of yourself that way? You're a chosen people. You are royal priests. priest is someone that takes God and, helps and allows other people to access God is a connection, is a bridge. You're actually royal priests. You're a holy nation. Holy is something that's been set apart. It's different. Now, look at this language. You are God's very own possession. Man, what if, what if we started to identify ourselves with, I belong to the king, you know, it's cool. It's God in the meantime looking at you, going, Yeah, you belong to me. You're God's very own possession. Look at the, look at the words in uh, verse 10. It keeps going. He says, Once you had no identity as a people, you had nothing. Now you're God's people. Do we realize it? Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter's trying to take us through a little moment where we go, I've got to shift the way I see myself. I've got to start to see myself living in the kingdom of God, and that forms my identity. Look at this in verse 11. He keeps going. He's going to go with this. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. I want you to look at those words. What does he mean? What's he mean when he says, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners? I think what he's saying is, our reality that we can't quite grasp is that we are actually citizens here. This is our citizenship. More so than you're a citizen of Boulder, Colorado, Louisville, Superior, wherever, Citizen in the U.S. True, true, true. But more than anything, he's saying, you're a citizen here. In fact, you're temporary resident and a foreigner here. Citizens here of a reality that is so much greater and beyond us. It's future that's breaking through. The kingdom of God. Residents here. This is where we live every day. In a world that you know is constantly munged up and twisted out of what we're intended to be. But he's saying, man, be careful. I want to warn you because there are things in this court- culture here that will wage war against your soul. Now, I want us to go with that. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to shift gears and take you to... Uh, another writer of the New Testament, we're going to look at some of the words of Paul. Paul's a guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, wrote a lot of the letters. We're going to look at some of Paul's words in Colossians because he's going to help keep us on this theme. Colossians is just a letter he wrote to this church in Colossae. So look, look at some of the themes here because Paul, I think, helps us unpack a little bit. All right, if we're citizens here and residents here, what does that mean? Sounds great, very good, love it, identity, got it. What does that mean we do here to live into that look at Colossians 3 1 Uh, this is what Paul says he says since you've been raised to new life with Christ your new life is here in the kingdom of God set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand the right hand is a position of power of authority Jesus is king in this place think about the things of heaven think about the kingdom of god not the things of earth okay let me let's read that again think about the things of heaven not the things of earth sometimes the way the way you could initially read that could be to say okay yeah i just need to think about heavenly things you know as part of my self-help program i am going to focus on everything that's great i'm going to imagine myself in heaven with my favorite beverage and I'm sitting near some water and people are bringing me nachos and that's what I'm going to think about when I think about heaven, not the things of earth. And it's really a way to, you know, self-medicate. Not what Paul's talking about. What I think Paul is talking about is, look, you want to be a citizen, you want to identify yourself as a member of the kingdom of heaven you have to think. we got to put our thinking caps on. Oh, man. And think about, do we understand the difference between this culture and this culture? Guys, I'm not sure there's anything more scary than we, when we can't tell the difference between these two cultures. Some of you had a cross-cultural experience before, Right? been in another place. You've been like, kind of like, whoa, eye opening on something that you see or you feel disoriented. You, you immediately can tell the difference between this and that. And it's just, it, it can stand out in your face like that. I, I mean, part of our trip, we went to Belgium. You guys, in Belgium, they eat waffles in the afternoon. Do you know this? <laughs> they put Nutella, they put Nutella And they put like bananas and strawberries and whipped cream. And they eat stinking waffles in the afternoon. I'm like, whoa. And then they have french fries that they put peanut sauce and caramelized, not ketchup. They don't do ketchup. They have peanut sauce and caramelized onions. And you can't believe the different sauces. And they eat this in the afternoon. It is so different than our culture. If this whole God thing turns out to not be true, I am moving to Belgium. Because... (laughs) That is like the closest thing to the kingdom of heaven I have ever heard of. I'm Bruges, Belgium. So there's a difference between the two cultures. Can you tell the difference between the culture that we live in now and the culture that God is designing? When you watch a movie, man, watch it. They're they're communicating a worldview. Can you tell the difference between the worldview that's communicated in that movie versus what the worldview is that God might have for you? When you're listening to music, when your boss asks you to do something, when you put together a new corporate strategy, when you're thinking about your neighborhood and your neighbors, are you thinking and do you spot the differences between the things that are happening daily in your life where you go, ah, that's, that's actually the kingdom of earth. That's not the kingdom of heaven. Guys, especially I think for people that are new to faith, right? You're just starting to follow Jesus. I, I really do think there's almost, it's, it's a scary thing. And this is me so often. I wonder sometimes am I following things that are really the kingdom of earth. And I think they're the kingdom of heaven. Paul's saying Think. Put on your thinking caps. It's going to take work. Look at the scripture. Look at the life of Jesus. What does he do? What are his ethics? Let that stuff soak into your soul. If we're going to be citizens here of this kingdom, shouldn't that culture just be deeply ingrained into who we are so that anything in the kingdom of God culture or a kingdom of earth culture, we can identify. doesn't mean be a jerk about it. It just means that we, we know. We have a rudder. Paul says, think. I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with a friend of mine, and I will not tell you which political party she was a part of. She was either a Republican or a Democrat, but it doesn't matter for the story. So I'm, I'm talking with her, and uh, she's going down like, we're, we're talking politics, you know, and, and uh, she says, you know, it becomes apparent to me in the conversation, like, every point that her party believes in, she is lockstep in line with it. And I, I was like, huh. And I finally asked her a question. I was like, hey, uh, do, you, do you think that everything, because she's a Christian, I'm like, do you think that everything that your party is saying is, like, totally in line with what God would want? And she goes, absolutely. And I just thought, Wow. I'm pretty sure that every institution here on the kingdom of earth is flawed, including this church, by the way. Every institution is flawed somehow. If we ever find ourselves lockstep with anything in the kingdom of earth, I, I'm just saying, be careful. That ought to be a red flag. Paul's saying, hey, this is going to require some thought. This isn't just going to come naturally. You've got to think. Because ultimately, what we're trying to see is transformation in your life. The kingdom of God, in fact, one of the biggest ways that we are citizens here, starts with our own transformation as a human being. Look what Paul says as he continues. This kind of blew my mind this week. Uh, verse 3 and 4. For you died to this life. All right? This, this life no longer yours. And check this out. Ah, this, this hit me. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Your real life is hidden with Christ. Talk about an identity buster. If my real life is hidden in Christ, could it be that the real Jim Candy hasn't actually showed up yet? The real Jim Candy has all kinds of issues, does all kinds of dumb things, is, you know, munged up by sin, influenced by the kingdom of earth. But is Paul saying that my real life is hidden in Christ and I am actually going to shift and change over time into what it means to be a citizen here? Here's what it did for me this week. As I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, there's sometimes where I'm faced with choices or decisions and it, you know... I know that it might not be the best thing to do X, Y, or Z. And sometimes I do it anyway. And, and then when I'm done doing it, I'm like, ah oh, man, I'm such a jerk. I just, what a loser. I can't believe that. I just need to get better. I need to be a better person. And I need blah, 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 you know? And we go down the moralism road. And I read this this week. Man, my, if my real life is hidden in Christ, I start thinking, what if instead when I am faced with those kinds of decisions, I start thinking, What if I start becoming now the person that God has intended for me to be forever? What if the real Jim Candy started showing up that God wants to shape into the Jim Candy of all eternity? This guy Dallas Willard has this phrase that he says. He goes, you know what? Eternity is now in session. Not when we die. Eternity is now in session in session. Guys, as we think about our lives, think about our identity, are we starting to become the people that God intends us to be forever? Jesus tells this parable. You guys know this one where Jesus says, um, you know what, the kingdom of God is like an owner of a vineyard. And the owner of a vineyard goes away on his big trip and he leaves his servants in charge and some stuff goes down and owner comes back and finds things going down and the point Jesus is making is, what will I find when this kingdom comes back? What will I find when this kingdom phew, kicks off? Is there something in you that just yearns to be the person that Jesus wants to find? That, that you look at your life and you go, Lord, free me from the ideas of just, oh, I've got to be a better person. And start getting me to think about, man, I want to be the person that you have designed me to be forever. That's a shift. So to do that, we'll need to think. We'll need to look at ourselves. We'll need to identify in ourselves where there's things that need to change. And Paul's going to help us think about that differently too, in the light of kingdom. Uh, for those of you that watch any kinds of uh, you know movies or TV shows that have to do with kings or thrones or queens or games or, you know, anything like that, Uh, movies, whatever. Here's my question for you. When you have a king and there is a competitor to the throne, a challenger has arisen who is, you know, even potentially, it can be like a little kid. If there's a challenger to the throne, what does the king do almost 100% of the time to that challenger? Anybody know? I saw this out in the crowd. You would be right. Challengers to the throne almost 100% of the time are put to death. Kill them. They're done. Look at Paul's language in verse 5. And maybe you've read this before. Read it differently this time. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Man, those last two words are kind of important. There's a lot of people that want to live in the kingdom of God that want to point fingers out at people in the kingdom of earth and say, Yeah, well, there's the problem. There's the problem. There's the problem. Yeah, it's that guy. It's this institution. It's that. It's that. Paul's saying, actually, the biggest competitor to the throne of the kingdom of God lives right here. Is actually living inside of us. And Jesus is saying, like, ah, put it to death. That's a competitor to the throne. It's, it's got to go. To move from here and to see our citizenship here means to put to death competitors of the throne and those competitors live inside us. Yikes. Look at the language here as he continues. He says, uh, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. You know, here's another way to think about it. Maybe those things, maybe greed is high treason. Maybe when I look at my life and I go, you know what, I actually want to transform into the person that God has for me to be through all eternity. It's not just like, oh, that would be nice. That would be nice for my wife if I did that. That would be nice, a good self help move I can do. Now, what if we looked at that instead and said, no, that's a competitor to the throne, to the kingdom of God that has to be eliminated, that lives inside me? Worshipping the things of this world rather than this world. How do we identify ourselves here? How do we think about ourselves and the difference here and identify those competitors? And then the last thing is the thing that when I think about the kingdom of God, I just can't quite get my mind around most of all, but this one's probably the most awesome. When God looks at us, let me ask you this. God's thinking of you. Thinking of Joe, thinking of Sue, thinking of Steve, whoever. When he looks at you Does he look at you and say, ah, one of my royal subjects? Does he look at you and say, ah, look at Joe, what a citizen of the kingdom of God. Love that about him. Is that how God sees us? How does God refer to us as sons, as sons and daughters in the kingdom of earth Adopted by God as sons and daughters. Let me ask you a question. What does that make you? What's that make me? The Bible uses this word instead of citizens. How crazy is that? Heirs? Princes? Princesses? We're not just dutiful servants. We're actually inheriting this kingdom of God. That's how much God loves us. He's drawn us into that inheritance with him. Now, be real clear. You're never becoming king. We live in a kingdom where the king doesn't die. So it's like, uh, get ready to live in the life of Prince Harry, not Prince William, okay, so... man, I belong to the king. And then could you add these words to the end? And he's my dad. Wow. Lord, would you help us today uh, to leave this room seeing ourselves in a different light? Would you help us today uh, to realize that the gospel is ultimately so much more than just about me? Uh, would you help us today to leave uh, this place energized to think and act on behalf of the kingdom that we are a part of? Um, would you help us today to love people uh, who have no concept of what we're talking about? Uh, love them without an ounce of arrogance. Love them uh, so genuinely but they couldn't help but stop and see the kingdom of God enfolding right there in front of them and won it. And would you help us to do that? I know that I can't do it on my own. I need to be totally taken there. I am so weak, so lacking of power to be able to do this. And Lord, I pray this on behalf of us all, that we need to be taken to you. Would you please do that, Lord. Move us toward your heart. Today, just a little bit more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.